Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. Joining me today is Gloria Matera. Gloria is a longtime Green Party organizer, active with the Green Party of New York State. She's from Brooklyn, New York, but for our purposes, she is more importantly, a member of the National Green Party of the United States Steering Committee. Gloria Matera, welcome to A Green Way Forward. Uh, Hi, David. Great to be here. And actually, it's great to have you back on. And I want to share with viewers and listeners of this podcast that Gloria has agreed to come on once a month to give us updates on things going on in the National Green Party. And Gloria, I know that there's a lot to talk about, but I want to let viewers know not only are we going to talk about the Green Party itself, but later in the program, Gloria and I will dive into Colin Kaepernick, uh, Nike, and Black Lives Matter. So we'll go into a substantive conversation around that topic. But I do want to open up the conversation to ask you, Gloria Matera, what is going on in the National Green Party these days? Thank you, David. I'm really happy to be here again and have the opportunity to share with viewers what's been going on in the National Party. Uh, Just most recently, this weekend was the Rise for Climate. It was a national action where there were actions, rallies, protests uh, going on all around the country. Uh, The Green Party participated in that in numerous cities. I know California, uh, several cities did it here in New York City. We were part of a rally and a march. Um, It happened in other places, too. But more importantly, uh, what we want to be able to say uh, and what we did say here in New York is that it's not just showing up on that day. Uh, That's always important to have a show of force in the streets. Uh, The climate catastrophe is here uh, and we need to be serious about it. Unfortunately, most elected officials are not serious about it. But in terms of the Green New Deal and the work that the Green Party has been doing, the positions they have around climate change and making sure that we talk about people and planet uh, before profit is really the message that we are taking when we show up at these events. So, Gloria, before we go on to the next uh, topic, because I know that there are several things that you wanted to share, I do want to give you the opportunity to expound a bit on the Green New Deal. Of course, we know that both Jill Stein and Howie Hawkins and many green candidates have been talking about a Green New Deal uh, for many years, but it seems to have sort of taken off in this last election cycle, at least as a talking point uh, for some candidates. But the, the Green New Deal for Green Party members is actually a core philosophy. So I'd like you to share the core philosophy of what a Green New Deal means. Sure. I mean, we really look at that in the context of being an eco-socialist party. And so when we're talking about the Green New Deal, we're obviously talking about demands like 100% clean renewable energy by 2030. Uh, We know that anything past that is catastrophic. We also talk about the Green New Deal as creating sustainable uh, union paying uh, good benefit jobs for people uh, in terms of having to mitigate climate change and in those industries, even including public transport. But we're also talking, which I don't think that uh, some of the uh, Democratic Party politicians start to use that phrase or talking about it. We're talking about public ownership. And that's where it connects to our eco-socialist platform around that is because the utilities, uh, all of these public transport, uh, housing, all these things that need to be under, uh, I think Howie's recently talked about even public, um, you know, Wi-Fi. Uh, why not? You know, why not the public who pays their with taxes 
for these services not be able to have a share and a say in how they are governed. Folks, you're watching A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with Gloria Matera, who is on the Green Party of the United States Steering Committee. And if you'd like to ask a comment or uh, or make a comment or ask a question of Gloria and you're watching us live on the Facebook live stream, type in a comment or question. Executive producer Michael O'Neill will try to capture those and we'll make sure to pose it to Gloria. If you're watching or listening to us on the podcast, we want to thank you so much for that and remind everyone that we continue to grow this program because ordinary people like you are sharing it with one another. So we're going to encourage you if you're watching live or just watching on Facebook, uh, remember that you can share this on your own Facebook page and other pages you manage. You can also share this podcast with anybody that you know, because with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, the revolution may not be televised, but it can be brought to you over sources of non-corporately filtered news information and analysis like a green way forward. So Gloria, on a, the Green New Deal, one of the things that uh, I've heard you talk about that always excites me is to eliminate the idea of an unemployment office and have a locally controlled employment office where anybody who is capable and able can show up and pick an eco-socialist sustainable job that they can do that has actually been created by the community. That's something different, isn't it? Gloria, are you with us? Michael, are you there? Okay, so folks, I'm so sorry. One of the I'm things so about the Green New Deal. Yes, can you, uh, can you, Gloria, can you share with Am us? Yes, you are back. So welcome okay. back. Uh, once again, <laughs> folks, an indication of the need for public ownership of uh, of a wireless internet and, and other uh, institutions. So Gloria, I was asking if you could share with us a little bit about the difference in the Green Party's position for employment offices to replace unemployment offices as it relates to the Green New Deal. Right. Absolutely. So obviously, uh, the job market uh, will employ people. But what we're saying in the Green New Deal is when there's a saturation point or there's not anything available, that these centers, these employment centers would act in a way like uh, going back to kind of the old public works programs, that there are so many jobs that can be created for people uh, around retrofitting, around uh, public transport, around all the things that basically serve the community. We really view them as things being community, regionally based. So that for people working in their community, living in that community, there's a real connection there when we talk about the sustainability. And so that uh, you know, you're working close to home, you're improving what's happening in the community through work in these employment centers. And just to be clear, the the Green New Deal from the Green Party actually calls for those sorts of decisions to actually be made locally and regionally rather than imposed from Washington, D.C. Right. And that's, I think, a common thread in many of the issues that we talk about and kind of how we envision, uh, you know, a green future, uh, life under a green government, where same thing with health, uh, you know, health care. Uh, it's publicly administered. Um, 
it's publicly funded and it, people are involved in decision-making. There are not five MRIs on the Upper East Side and none in Harlem. And so that, that kind of planning, that kind of local planning with community and worker engagement, whether it's worker co-op or other ways that those two groups are working together to plan for that particular community or region. So, uh, Gloria, several folks have taken us up on the offer to ask some provocative questions. So here's one for you. Heavier writes in to ask, is there any way Greens would ever accept corporate money? Like, what if it's a no strings sort of thing? I don't know what could be no strings that's corporate. So uh, it would be no. That is a rule. That is a rule starting from the national party and filters all the way down to all our local candidates. Uh, no corporate money. We are anti-corporate. Uh, we are anti-capitalist. And so, I'm sorry, long answer. It can, it's just no. Yes. So, and, and just to be clear, folks, although I don't uh, speak for the Green Party as a former Green Party presidential candidate, as an attorney general candidate, as an organizer with the Green Party, as the campaign manager for the Jill Stein Ajamu Baraka campaign. I can say I will do everything I can to ensure that the Green Party does not now, nor will it ever accept corporate money, because I understand the corporation as an entity that is literally designed to accumulate capital, wealth, power, and decision-making authority. It is undemocratic at its core. And I believe in little d democracy. I actually believe that we, the people should be at the heart uh, of government. Now uh, we get another question from Charles to ask, what do the green party stand on the legalization or decriminalization of cannabis? Uh, that is, thank you for asking that. That's a long time position. Uh, in the National Party and throughout the states. Uh, yes, we are totally in favor of decriminalization and legalization of cannabis. Mark writes in to ask, or he makes a comment, we need to focus on getting corporate money out of our politics and to create a viable third party that can actually make a stand against the two-party monopoly and get it out uh, and uh, enact a legislative campaign. What can we do to validate the Green Party? Um, I hope I get, I understand your question correctly in terms of validating the Green Party. I mean, I, what I really want to say about getting corporate money out of politics is that is, you know, both pressure, uh, and talking about that as an issue. It's not always a very exciting issue. So, uh, we really appreciate that voters and that other people kind of join in the party and talk about that, you know, kind of, uh, electoral freedom and independence is involved with, financial independence from the corporations. And so uh, I would say get involved in the Green Party. There are several uh, committees, maybe even on your local level, that are doing that kind of work. Uh, there is a place in terms of, of lobbying and pressuring and calling out elected officials to be able to promote that kind of legislation. It's not easy, but we know that that's actually one of the barriers we do need to overcome to continue to get Greens and other independent left candidates elected. Well, that really brings us up to the next comment or question that has come in, and that is from David, who asks, are there any Green Party candidates in the midterms? Uh, there are lots of Green Party candidates in the midterms. Uh, GP.org 
um, our national party website. There's a whole section. Uh, every almost every state has candidates there. Of course, it'd be it's hard to highlight them all. Um, I just want to say uh, maybe just mention a couple. Is especially because I think there's just seems to be this focus about um, you know voting out incumbents, having new, young, exciting, diverse candidates, and people think that's a blue wave. But, you know, if you want to see the green wave, there's Kenneth Mejia, um, Rodolfo um, Cortez uh, Barragan uh, in California, young men, um, young men of color out there, uh, really getting young people involved. Elijah Manley, 19-year-old African-American man who ran in Broward County and did really well his first time around, uh, talking uh, for school board, talking about the inequities in education. Uh, talking about school violence. Um, also, the ex- kind of exciting candidates, both in Ohio for governor, Candace uh, uh, Goodell, uh, help me with her last Newton. name, Newton, Newton. Uh, and Howie Hawkins here in New York, uh, basically getting enough votes uh, and a percentage for their, as in the governor's race, to be able to maintain Green Party as a ballot status party. And as we know, that is incredibly important because that's how you run local candidates. Uh, that's how your party really gets some visibility, even though we often have, uh, we call here in New York, a green out in terms of getting our candidates uh, in the mainstream media, which is why something like this, David, is really so important. And, you know, thank you, Gloria, for that and for lifting up so many of those really great candidates. I also uh, want to point out that uh, getting involved in local races where Greens can and do get elected and actually govern is a really important uh, but often overlooked point. You know, many folks often complain that the Green Party only shows up during presidential elections, but the reality is that there have been over a thousand Greens elected, uh, usually at the local uh, and county or municipal level, uh, all across this country since our foundation. There are several hundred that are actually serving in office right now. And so I'll make an appeal to each and every viewer slash listener of a Greenway Forward to get involved at the local level. Now, if you are inspired to get involved in your state party or want to do national level work, then one of the committees that Gloria Matera has just mentioned would be fantastic. But at the end of the day, the Green Party will succeed or fail and the movement will succeed or fail based on what we do as ordinary people in the communities where we live, work, and play. Uh, And I want to challenge each of you who are listening and or watching to get involved at the local level. You know, Ned actually writes in uh, uh, about Colin Kaepernick, and he says, all good that Colin Kaepernick was being featured by Nike ads. But their marketing team was banking on exposure, and it panned out with a significant increase in sales. Gloria Matera, what are your thoughts on Colin Kaepernick and the Nike ad? Oh, so many thoughts. Um, And so I want to say back from, you know, Nike was the poster child, uh, you know, you know, quite some time ago, years ago, uh, in terms of those of us who were protesting against uh, sweatshops and what was happening there. Uh, Never bought a Nike product, you know, since then. Uh, There are so many other things that, you know, obviously you can buy products. But as you know, as time went on, you start to realize that this is pervasive. Uh, it's not only Nike, it's many other companies. It's, uh, happening in our own country. Uh, it's happening a few neighborhoods away from where I live right now that people are being, workers are being treated that way. And so Nike is a bad company. 
Uh, there's nothing good to say about them. Now, uh, what does it mean about, does that, does that mean Colin Kaepernick is bad? Does that mean the decision for them to lift him up and have him doing ads is bad? I think that's a, you know, more complicated question. I mean, this is someone who was vilified, who lost his job, uh, was prevented from working. And I think I want to go back to what is the original protest that Colin Kaepernick was doing? He put down his knee because he was uh, protesting against police violence, against black and brown people, mostly young men, but yes, black and brown people. And that concern about racism I think is now getting obscured where people arguing about, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing? I'm, I think we have to wait and see. Will he be muzzled? Will he be compromised? Uh, you know, being continuing to be a Nike spokesperson. My understanding is he's had this, um, you know, kind of sponsorship deal from beginning, even while he had uh, not been able to work. And so I think it's a wait and see. I think that those of us on the left who have a real historical perspective uh, and a long view say that we don't dismiss and we don't call him out on that. Just like we people who are kind of burning their, you know, Nike gear because um, a black man who you know, was quote unquote, not patriotic, is now the face of, you know, this sportswear company. I think we take the long view to see um, what that means. But I think the important thing is what Kaepernick was originally protesting. And then just one more thing about it is that's not being talked about, of course, is, you know, it's, you know, this, what it means in a capitalist system, right? So there are these multi-million dollar corporations that can co-opt a movement, I'm not saying Kaepernick is co-opted. I'm not going to make that judgment at the moment. I'm going to wait and see what happens. But I think when you're not talking about capitalism, Nike's not going to talk about capitalism. They're not going to talk about racism. So, you know, kind of let's see what happens. And I really look forward to having a further conversation uh, with you here on Facebook as that time goes on. You know, thank you for that, Gloria. And I'm going to take this opportunity to pick up Ned's uh, sort of uh, question and as Gloria did, really start and anchor with the fact that Colin Kaepernick uh, is and was uh, uh, heroic by taking a knee to draw attention to the police violence that is happening and perpetrated against young black men and black, and older black men, uh, but very specifically uh, lifting up Black Lives Matter uh, and the the position that he took. Uh, deserves to be lauded, uh, and he deserves to be lauded for taking that position and not knuckling under, uh, to the incredible pressure that the National Football League and the owners and the, and the ruling class, uh, visited upon him. So let's make no mistake, uh, that Colin Kaepernick's, uh, position of taking a knee was heroic. Let's also acknowledge that Nike has a long history of using slave labor, child labor, and some of the most atrocious international labor practices, and were really the poster child for the global justice movement of the 1990s. Uh, I will acknowledge that they somewhat improved their international labor practices in the past decade, but not nearly enough to pretend like they have become some sort of social justice heroes. In fact, Clothing and footwear consumption have one of the most significant negative impacts on both the environment and worker abuse internationally. Uh, and in fact, the workers, International Workers Consortium has relaunched just last year an entire campaign against the Nike Corporation. So I'll just end this. 
If you want to really be ethical with your sneaker consumption, check out thegoodshoppingguide.com and actually find where there are sneakers that are actually made and ethically sourced where workers are paid an actual living wage. And I guarantee you the Nike Corporation is not on that list. So uh, Trisha writes in to ask, why do we continue to put forward the notion that we need to tax the rich so we can afford the health free health care? Because of modern monetary theory, we only need to tax the rich for ethical reasons. Taxes don't fund anything. Gloria? Well, you know, the, mon- the, the, the money thing, the monetary thing is not, uh, is often a conversation, a debate in the Green Party and, and what that means. But um, I don't really agree with that. I think that money does, There, you know, there's money there um, in terms of the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies. And I also think that that is another step that the Green Party would say is towards public ownership, towards decorporatization um, in terms of those, just particularly those two organizations that make uh, loads of money. Somebody has to be paying that. Uh, and the other thing is, yes, ethically, we do need um, single payer health care. But the issue around access uh, goes, I think, hand in hand with the cost for that. And, you know, thank you for that, Gloria. I guess what the other thing that I would say is, look, it's certainly true that uh, government expenditures are a function of a political decision and the U.S. Congress uh, can simply uh, and the president puts forward a budget. Uh, Congress approves it uh, and can instruct the Treasury to simply uh, uh, print money. That is certainly true. But I also want to point out that the entire global system actually only operates and the only countries that could actually engage in modern monetary theory is because we are the capital of empire uh, and we can basically externalize the cost. So for me, I personally am a supporter of the notion of democratizing the entire idea of money uh, and democratizing the entire idea of wealth power, and decision-making authority. It is why I am a proud eco-socialist, uh, and I do believe, frankly, that the job that I'm trying to do is to red the greens and green the reds and recognize that actually we need a restructuring of society so that goods and services are not only distributed fairly, but that we actually understand that the earth itself is a closed ecosystem and that we have to actually begin both producing and consuming things in a sustainable way. Because if we do not, the ecological crisis will just continue. And if we take the industrial model and just uh, find a better or more fair way to distribute it without actually restructuring society, we are doomed. Agree. Completely agree with that, David, because it's not. I mean, you know, obviously uh, social programs, uh, improving social programs and putting more money into them uh, will certainly take care of the immediate needs of so many people that are suffering. But without systemic change, you know, the long view is, you know, we're doomed as a planet and as a species. Robbie writes in to ask, does the intense concentration of both wealth and power in the U.S. make a transition to socialism impossible? How do you imagine a transition that does not devolve into strife and feudalism? Oh, big question. Um, I think sometimes these are questions that, you know, in the here and now we cannot answer. Um, But I definitely think that, you know, 
basically in some of the things that we look at very concretely in terms of the Green Party, I think is is basically, ta- you know, democratizing elections, money out, uh, influence out, uh, I think pushing for those electoral laws and for local action. I think that the social movements and the upheavals that we have seen, you know, they spring up. I think they make some gains. They go back down again. I think all those are pushing us towards a time where change can happen. I don't think it's going to be uh, a catastrophic change. Uh, although I think as we talked, or we talked frequently tonight and in the past, uh, that the climate crisis itself with the climate refugees and everything that is happening around that and affected by that, you know, really can precipitate kind of a, a humanitarian crisis that makes people feel that there is not much left to lose. In this country, yes, it's very challenging because the corporations and the two-party system and the way elections are run and capital runs rampant is very, very challenging. But I have faith in not just what the Green Party is doing, but in the social movements like Black Lives Matter and many of the other movement there that we just keep pushing back on that. And in some ways, I have to say, hashtag Dem exit. We say that a lot. There's a lot of reasons why people need to stop basically saying, I'll, I'll take that incremental change. I'll vote for that lesser evil candidate. Um, they just, you know, not worry about how that election is going to turn out and, and say that we want a government that is going to be for the people and by the people truly. And that is only going to happen breaking from the corporate parties. Thank you so much for that incredible answer, Gloria. And I'm going to just jump in, Robbie, and say the reality is that it is going to be a struggle. Uh, and that struggle must be carried out. And that struggle, I believe, uh, reminds me, Frederick Douglass famously said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are people who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. The reality is this. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. The other part of the Frederick Douglass quote is something that doesn't actually get talked about, but I think it's worth saying. You show me the amount of injustice that any people are willing to tolerate, and I will show you the exact amount of injustice that will be visited upon them. And I got to tell you, folks, being staying in the Democratic Party, when it continues to demonstrate that it is in favor of a global imperialist foreign policy and domestically a economic system based on capitalism and the exploitation of both people and commodity and, and to commodify the natural world is to surrender. So I encourage you to take Gloria Matera's advice, dim exit. I would like to see you green enter. But at the end of the day, if we don't actually stand up for what we believe, we can't win. But the amazing thing is there are enough of us to actually win. Mark writes in to ask, I've voted green since the beginning, but it truly seems to be a desperate act of defiance with no real effect. I'm doing my best to support and help establish the Green Party, but we need more power to balance the suppression of our voices by the two-party stranglehold on our right to vote. What would you say to Mark? 
First, I want to thank you, Mark, and honoring you for voting green from the beginning and doing your part. Um, and so more of us doing that really means something. We do elect greens. Uh, there are greens in government around the country. Uh, we're, you know, working hard to kind of break that to that higher level, uh, to win. And, and that's how we're building power. I think David, going back to David saying, uh, obviously state and national politics may interest people, but in, in the very, you know, kind of come down to it, it's what's happening on the local level. There are many local races. Uh, and in fact, it's actually recruiting people to run. Many of those seats are empty. Maybe it's just one Democrat. Maybe it's one Republican. Uh, so look in your local area, uh, not just Mark, but other people who are doing that is where can you make that difference? Where can you step up and run for school board, community board, uh, town supervisor? Uh, there, there is, um, some help that the national party can give. We have a committee uh, called the coordinated campaign committee. We have a lot of materials for candidates. Uh, you can look on our website or contact us through our website or uh, toolkits about how to run for office, uh, different ways to plan your campaign. State parties have that also. Uh, so I encourage you to look to see what those resources are to be able to say, I can run for office because it is really about the teachers and the seniors and the students uh, and the social workers and the bus drivers stepping up and running for local office. They know their community, their community members, and that's what we'd like to support. Uh, Glenn writes in to ask, I believe it's important to support and work with the global greens. Do you agree? I'm not sure if you're talking about the global greens themselves as an organization uh, or uh, greens around around the world, which, of course, we do consider ourselves part of an international movement. Uh, the United States uh, Green Party has had, had involvement with the global greens. There are some uh, feelings there that if we're looking at the global greens specifically as an organization, that the United States uh, Green Party representatives were, are not always feeling that they were heard uh, at global green gatherings. And so that's something we're looking at. But there are other organizations. There are other international Green Party organizations. And to be honest, international organizations of the socialist ilk that the Greens in New in, uh, in the United States, I think, have a lot of commonality with. And we're building those bridges. And so if you'd like to know more information, uh, besides just uh, kind of checking what might be on our website, I encourage you to just find out what our uh, international committee is doing. We have an international committee where Greens are connecting with Greens and Green movements around the world. Former Green Mayor of New Paltz, New York, Jason West, writes in to ask, there are 161 elected Greens in the U.S. out of more than 500,000 elected offices nationwide. What is the Green Party going to do differently moving forward in order to win elections? Jason. Hi there, Jason. It's nice to hear from you, uh, fellow New Yorker. Um, well, and before you answer the question, can <laughs> I just also lift Jason West up yes. uh, at a time when the Democratic Party leadership was saying that uh, it would that they were passing the Defense of Marriage Act and throwing uh, same sex marriage under the bus. Uh, Jason West was literally marrying same-sex couples in New Paltz, New York. In fact, went to jail uh, and then came out of jail and married more couples. So, Jason, I'm not being sycophantic with you, and we will answer your question. But I want to lift Jason up as an example of the difference when you put a Green Party member into an elected position who has a core transformational revolutionary ethos 
uh, versus Democrats who just mouth words based on what they think will get elected. So thank you, Jason West, for the courage of what you've done and for being a uh, person who ran for office and got elected. But your point is well made. There are 500,000 elected offices. There are only 161 elected Greens. Gloria Matera, what can we do to get more Greens elected? Well, one, I think, is continuing to hammer away at, um, you know, kind of uh, electoral independence, independence from the corporate parties. We have to push that legislation where we can. We can also look at the voting systems. Now, uh, on the bigger picture, that's a big change. Greens have always talked about abolishing the Electoral College. But there are places, I want to lift up Maine, where right choice voting uh, was attained on a on a statewide level. Greens are very involved in that. That's been a pillar of something that the party has been pushing for and promoting for a long time. And in fact, they beat back two attempts to stop that from happening. Uh, ranked choice voting, uh, proportional representation, all these electoral reforms, I think, will help push Green Party candidates, particularly on the local level, into office. And, you know, before we get, move away from Maine, let's actually acknowledge that it was the Democratic Party leadership uh, that attempted not once but twice to actually uh, torpedo the effort for ranked choice voting. I also want to lift up the Green Party's call for proportional representation uh, as a way to actually democratize uh, elections, as well as our call for true publicly funded elections, our call to ensure uh, that we eliminate the incredible uh, racist nature of the criminal justice system that is then used to prevent incarcerated people from voting because we know the criminal justice system is so racist. We could go on and on about this, but I'll tell you this, Jason. I think that the way that we increase the number of elected Greens in the U.S. is to have more serious, credible people at the local level who come out of mass movements and local struggle in their communities run for office. I can tell you that in my community, uh, Eureka, California, we have a, a, a Green Party member running for city council. Uh, she has the endorsement of the Central Labor Council and the North Coast People's Alliance, as well as the Green Party. Uh, this is something big. It's the county seat. We've never had a Green on city council. We're defending uh, Greens in Arcata, which is, you know, our version of Ithaca or Austin or San Francisco or Berkeley, you know, the, the very liberal bastion. But we're going into a working class community uh, and running a Green who has a legitimate shot to actually win. Uh, and we're trying to actually work with socialist, independents, and progressive Democrats here at the local level. So there's a lot of experiments that we think need to be uh, just e- experimented with. Uh, but at the end of the day, if Greens are not running for office at the local and county level, if we're not running for school board uh, and soil and conservation district and water district uh, and city councils, then I believe that we are making a profound mistake. But just one more point about ranked choice voting. Uh, I, I want people to know that in many instances, that is not the panacea for, for Greens getting elected. Um, that wouldn't necessarily always help Greens, but we think that it's right. 
And that's an important thing to understand that we think it's the right, it's the right thing to offer voters. They should have that. It's proportional representation, as David said, you know, that kind of next level that would make a difference. And we know even here in New York City, some of our council candidates received, you know, over 20% of the vote in other systems, they would, the Green Party would have a seat on the New York City Council. Think about that for a moment, folks, and how important it is that we actually get ourselves involved. Uh, And I want to give you an opportunity for any last thoughts, Gloria. But before we do, I want to let viewers and listeners know that next week we will be joined by Cindy Sheehan, uh, the Peace Mom. She is organizing a uh, National Women's March on the Pentagon. A big part of the reason for that is because when Cindy Sheehan... Uh, try to speak at the last women's march, they literally would not allow her to speak and told her that issues of militarism and empire was uh, not the topic of conversation. So Cindy Sheehan uh, decided to, to call for a women's march on the Pentagon to make those connections. And Gloria, I know that the Green Party has been involved in helping to organize that. Uh, absolutely. We, the National Green Party has endorsed the Women's March on the Pentagon, October 20th and 21st. Uh, several, uh, strong green women are on that steering committee. Joy Davis, uh, fellow co-chair of mine. Uh, uh Sherry Honkala, our former, uh, vice presidential candidate in 2012, uh, a candidate and an activist for a long time in Philadelphia. And so, you know, we, um, we want to amplify that work that's being happened because we are the party of peace. We have ha- always had an anti-war stance that was strong, no matter how much other organizations either caved in or tried to disappear that message. So we really honor Cindy for doing that. We're happy to partner with her uh, in, in this effort. And we're really looking forward to that next month. Well, Gloria Matera, as always, the time just flew by with you. We had a fantastic conversation. I do want to give you an opportunity for any final closing thoughts. Uh, I guess I want to leave people because I really appreciate the the conversation and the questions uh, is to really, because it's it's election day coming up soon, uh, to really look around and see, are there green candidates? Are there very local, uh, pr- very progressive candidates in your area? Is there a green local in your area to be able to see who can I vote for? Uh, in the local elections. And I also want to lift up the fact that the national party and many of the state parties do offer assistance and do offer guidance if you're interested in running for office. And like, you know, if not you, then who else is going to change the system? And so thank you for really giving me this opportunity, David, to talk with you and your viewers. Well, thank you, Gloria Matera, for being such an inspirational guest and organizer for the Green Party. I want to thank Michael O'Neill, executive producer, who does this program every week as an unpaid volunteer, putting the sweat equity into building the, the, the ability for we as Greens to talk to each other. More importantly, I want to thank you, the viewer listener, for participating in this conversation and to remind you that we are in this together and we're only going to win if and when we come together to do the work, to perspire together, to inspire each other together, but together we can win. So thank you all. Tune in next week. We'll be joined by Cindy Sheehan to talk about the upcoming Women's March on the Pentagon happening October 21st. Peace.
A Green Way Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.